0: Um, you know, and then that can create this sort of false reality for people who are also my age thinking, wow, maybe I should study more. Maybe I should go to class more. And then it starts to make people feel guilty for not doing that. Um, not knowing that it was also having an effect on myself as well. Maybe you were motivating some of them. I mean, Mm. that could have worked as well. But as you guys may have taught, like taken it from the last topics, like I don't tend to look at the positives (laughs) of any of the topics that I talk about. It usually goes down quite a intense and depressing route. And speaking of which, we're going to go straight into what the main topic I want to talk about is. And it's how daydreaming or romanticizing your life in a more scientific way um, actually clinically causes depression and anxiety in almost every single age demographic um there is a study done in san diego by a psychotherapeutic research center lauren cook and molly valinsky shout out to those girls um (laughs) they said that you know daydreaming can be responsible for depression in all age demographics and the main root of that is something called escapism which i kind of already touched on in the beginning it can be something as simple as um it's exam season, you've realized that you've not studied for a test. And instead of, you know, it's the night before the exam. And instead of going and trying to cram anything that you can, you just sit in your room and you go, it is what it is. It's not happening to me. This isn't this isn't really happening. This isn't real life. You know, I'll be fine. And then you go into the exam in this pure state of delusion. And then it's not until you open the booklet and you're like, yeah, I actually don't know what's going on. (laughs) Have you all kind of experienced something like that? yeah me too it's a it's a bit of a sticky one i'm not gonna lie um like you create this you have like a stressful situation and that's sort of like a ticking time bomb and all you can think is nah this isn't happening to me this isn't happening at all and you know it i want to say that sometimes that delusion can help you cope but i say cope very lightly you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's not really a coping mechanism that we should be relying on and i think um social media and the whole idea of romanticizing or cr- creating this perfectly curated scenario in your mind without actually you know doing the work in your reality it does cause a reduction in your endorphin production in your brain endorphin is like a happy hormone for people who don't know endorphin and serotonin they are known to spike joy in in our you know brain for a simple way of putting it and when you you know i feel like i'm kind of touching on a lot of different things here so let me try and rein it in and go back to the simple concept of daydreaming and you know having a crush right let's just say you're thinking about it like while you're thinking of the scenario of being with your kush and having all of these amazing memories with them, your brain is producing endorphins and serotonin at like a rapid, rapid level. And you can feel sort of like an overwhelming sense of joy. You can feel it in your dreams as well. You know, when you wake up from a really good dream and you're like, oh damn, like this is all a dream. But like you still sort of feel that rush of happiness when you wake up Mm -hmm. because those are the hormones still working in your brain. But the problem with daydreaming and constantly having those hormones being stimulated is that your brain sort of creates this unrealistic standard for when those hormones should be released so when something actually decent or somewhat decent happens in your real life um i'll just say like put it on a graph in a way like if something semi decent happens in your real life your endorphins cannot be activated at a sufficient amount because The daydreams created this really high threshold and this sort of standard that your happiness needs to go to before those hormones are released. So it makes us almost sort of dissatisfied with pretty much everything else in our lives. Like something amazing could happen to you, but your brain is almost, what kind of word can I use? It's almost kind of immune Mm -hmm. to that. Yeah, it's kind of immune to that event in your life because your daydreams are so much better. Like nothing can reach that standard. Yeah.
1: from what you were were saying um, one time I was having a conversation with a psychologist friend of mine Mm -hmm. and he said daydreaming is like taking cocaine, Mm -hmm. that you get this one time high and then you keep chasing that time, that one time high Mm -hmm. that you'll never get again and then if you don't take care, it'll turn you into an addict, we're talking about this because we're saying that in our country they keep voting for people who say a lot of fancy stuff that people should know that it's not true and he Mm. said because you know the people have always daydreamed like oh we want to be like this place we want to be like that place so when somebody comes in and gives them an information instead of them taking it in the reality form they're taking it in the form like okay this is our guy this is who is going to get us to where we are Mm -hmm. and if he doesn't get it then the next guy is like okay somebody has to say something more high more like more Mm. flashy and we'll go for him and Mm -hmm. then like a system where they keep chasing that one time high they've had, that they would never get back again. Mm -hmm. It's like you come and add it in in a way.
0: Exactly, like the delusion from that. Like That's literally what I was talking about. You are kind of put in a sense of pure delusion where you create this scenario in your head that the standard cannot be reached to. So you keep chasing that and, you know, the reality will never live up to that level of delusion that you created in your mind. And that's the whole problem with, you know romanticizing situations mm. yeah sorry Abby. What no it?
2: you're good i was just gonna say do you know if this maybe applies to people who read a lot as well because it's yes. not yeah, okay
0: mm-hmm. 100%. i was just
2: curious because i know that like i'm a big reader same and i don't really do a lot of daydreaming because all every chance i have to daydream i'm reading instead
0: yeah mm. it is the same thing though because daydreaming is creating a false scenario and if, if when you say you like reading do you mean fictional yes so obviously that's also a false scenario that you're reading the words and then you're still creating an image of those words in your mind okay. so it's like indirect it. it's indirect daydreaming that's another example um you know if you read romance books as a kid mm-hmm. or if you read fairy tale books as a kid you see magic look at harry potter and how um he's literally the underdog and through all seven of the books he comes out like after all the aversions in his life, he comes out on top. Unfortunately, for a lot of people who may be in his position, hypothetically, as orphans or people with tough family backgrounds, they're not going to get whisked away by some magic monster away from their cruel parents to a fantasy land. That's not going to happen. But Mm -hmm. for kids, that reality is painted Mm -hmm. in their heads. And I'm not trying to be like crazy and say, no, kids should not read fantasy books or anything. (laughs) But I think it should play in our heads that like fantasy and reality are two different things and we need to... Draw that line, and mm-hmm. I think with the whole romanticizing thing on TikTok now, it's kind of made that line a bit blurry, and people are trying to mix the two. There is more of it now
3: compared to, say, 20 years ago.
0: Yes, I would say so. Actually, because hmm.
3: I feel like people these days know. are, you know, um, way more passive, way more sedentary, way more at home, way more on social media, so maybe they get all those images, right, compared to before where. I mean, you had to be out, you had to meet people in real life, you had to confront a physical situation. Yes. So then you get hit in the face and then you're like, ah, yeah, it's not going to go down like this. Exactly. Mm -hmm.
0: And you also become more accustomed to aversion or stress-related situations. It's easier to tackle them. For example, if you have a problem with a friend in school or you don't like the way someone in work is treating you, you had to tackle that in person, whereas now you could send an indirect email to someone, someone, someone who will indirectly tell that person who has the problem. You know, here in this society, it's very easy to avoid those stressful situations Mm -hmm. and we don't learn how to tackle them on our own.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like just going back to, like, the the novels and TikTok and stuff, like, I feel like with novels, um, yeah, I can understand why it might be problematic, but at least they're kind of designed to be, like, one sort of sensory stimulation at one time. Like you're you're only mm. seeing words on a page. But when it comes to like the rise of TikTok, you know, you're getting this kind of like visual stimulation, sound stimulation, everything, and it's instantaneous. It's sixty mm. seconds or or less of someone's entire life in a video. Yeah. And I feel like when TikTok became like so popular during lockdown initially it was really great like seeing what other people were doing because we were all in the same position no one could like leave the house we were all kind of like there it was a support system but since like lockdown and like covid is kind of like moving away now it's like it is it's, it's quite depressing to see constantly like how people have moved on from like this like pandemic like people are just snapping back to their lives and you know Mm -hmm. like really doing the whole thing
0: and it's really turning into a whole influencer thing the whole influencer culture has now Mm -hmm. seeped into TikTok, it used to be Mm -hmm. such a fun carefree place, now it's cancel culture it's um, you know wannabe politicians who mm, yeah. take random you know takes from the internet and twist them around to make them original and getting mm. cancelled in the process um, there's fashion influences as well though it's cool to see new pieces of clothes product placement, yes. Yes. too much,
3: oh my God, too much.
0: Yes. Uh, nothing is I know it sounds so like cringe but like nothing is real, nothing is genuine on there anymore like mm. all of our social media are getting corrupted it's mm. not
1: fun on the issue of, uh, is it more these days compared to before, with the help of social media, I have a really funny story. So I had these friends, like we grew up a couple of boys and one of them was in the U.S. living. He lived in the U.S. for a long time now. And on social media, all we saw was he's in this big car and he has thousands of dollars and he's like, out there in the streets like, I got a new Ferrari, I got a new this and we grew up together so we seen that we're like oh dude he's made it so mm. one of our friends was in a conference he's an IT guy was in a conference and was trying to link up with him like hey bro I'm I'm in your city like come on let's link up it's been quite some time and he was trying and trying couldn't get to this guy so he kind of hacked his social media to get yeah. to, to find him because he was like well if, if this guy is not responding then something might be wrong. So mm-hmm. since I'm a tech guy, I want to find my friend. So he kind of, and then he found out that he doesn't have 1% of the things he puts on social media. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have millions of dollars. He doesn't own a Ferrari. He's never bought a Lamborghini. He doesn't own a house in Miami or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that he's only doing this for the gram, As mm-hmm. he said to mm-hmm. him, like, yep. come yeah, on, be realistic. This is for the gram. I'm like, is there life for the gram and is there life for reality? Mm-hmm. So imagine people out there are seeing this guy and then they are being like, Oh damn and recently there's this new series. It's called Rap Shit. Literally that's the name of the <laughs> show. It's called Rap Shit. It's about these girls in Miami and it it when you watch it, I think people haven't a lot of people have watched, but people are like, Oh they rap good I'm like, No, but you don't get the message they're trying to put like look at the life they put on their social media and the life that they actually live is mm-hmm. way too different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So with the advent of social media, in in some parts of the world, people are now going into female body enhancement because mm-hmm. they see all mm-hmm. these so-called influencers are doing to themselves. And then they are going in to do it not for themselves, but mm-hmm. because, oh, did the you trends. see this actor, mm-hmm. this girl? She's doing it, so I'm going to do it. So now it's even becoming more dangerous than it was before because... People are trying to look like things that they are not. Like, oh, Kim Kardashian made so much money without having no talent. I can too. Mm. Uh, and it's not the same.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a sticky... One.
1: Yeah, it's just a bit of a sticky one. Um, it's not just about um,
0: the people that are being affected by viewing those that content. It's also the people who are putting out that content yeah. themselves. They're, You know, they've crossed that line from romanticizing your life into pure delusion. And it's created this false reality that they are now forced to maintain. It's really sad to see mm-hmm. how this culture has changed um, with the introduction of social media. But all I can say is for us to take home, so, to sort of like wrap this up is please do look at the positives of your life. Yes, there are so many beautiful things to be grateful for in your life, but don't turn that into this standard that should remain consistent throughout all of your life. There are ebbs and flows in life. There are mundane moments between the good moments. And I just think if you can find a perfect balance between those two or even some sort of balance, I think it would be a lot better for our mental health. Don't push a standard that it's impossible to maintain and look after your mind. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's a good wrap up. Yep.
4: Okay,
3: and it's finally time for you, Abby, (laughs) to bring your topic.
2: Yeah, alrighty. So um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Washington, D.C. As you guys can probably hear by my accent, I am American. So now Washington, D.C. is about a six-hour drive from my hometown. I grew up in North Carolina. Um, And so this past summer, my family and I decided, you know... I've never been further north than North Carolina. Uh, I was born in SoCal, like Southern California, and then I grew up in North Carolina, so I've always perpetually been in the south. So we went up a little north. We went to Washington, D.C. to see a couple museums. And I noticed something interesting about their license plates. It actually says, if you look closely, end taxation without representation." So now, at first glance, you 're probably thinking, "Oh, you know it 's it's, it's uh, you know a tip of the hat towards the rallying cry that um, Americans used during the Revolutionary War because they said "No taxation without representation." That was kind of their motto when they were trying to become a separate nation from the British Empire. however, um, it 's actually homage to the fact that washington d c is not a state, which I feel like a lot of people do know that. Um, But people don't really realize that that kind of has some consequences. So, for example, Washington, D.C. is a state that is mostly minorities. It's actually 62.5% minorities as of, uh, I think, last year. That was the statistic that I found. And so um, what this means is that they do not have... The representation not only within the Senate or the House of Representatives, which are two, which is um, two pieces of you know a branch in the U.S. government, but also they do not have a like state government. They're all under the federal government because it's Washington, D.C., so it's the capital of the U.S. So they have, like, the president and, you know, Congress. Um, They have all of that within Washington, D.C., but they do not have a state government, which makes it kind of hard for people to have a say about stuff like infrastructure within D.C. or schools. Um, And so I find that um, a little bit difficult to process because Washington D.C. is the capital of the United States and the United States um, loves to kind of tell other countries like oh you should be very democratic and you should listen to the people and you should do all this and blah 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 blah. Um, but then the hypocrisy of that is that within their own capital people do not have a say in federal laws or laws within their own territory because again it's not a state and so um I think that's a little frustrating to know that instead of being able to have a say in what's going on within their territory, the federal government's in charge and they're too concerned about what's going on in the 50 states rather than, hmm, what should we do for the people of D.C.? And I think the idea that they are a majority... marginalized people makes that even more difficult to process because as if these people haven't already been oppressed for mm, the birth since the birth of the country, you know, now it's like they're still not getting the representation that they want, need and deserve within the government of their own country where they're the ca- they live in the capital of it. Um, and then I also wanted to touch on the fact that uh, so obviously taxes are part of the way I introduce this topic, you know, end Mm -hmm. taxation without representation. So people um, who live in Washington, D.C. pay more taxes than people within 12 U.S. states. So it's not as though they're not paying taxes for stuff like infrastructure and schools. It's that they don't have a say over how their own tax money is used. Um, And so I, I think that's a big part of Well, not not all of the part of why they deserve to be a state, but that is a part of it. And I think that can be definitely used to combat the idea that, well, you know, being a state costs money. It costs money to have this state government and to run things. But the people of D.C. are already paying taxes higher than 12 other U.S. states. So it's not as though they do not have the financial means to become a state. Um, And then another thing that has kind of been discussed is that the people who live within Washington, DC are mostly, uh, people who are voting blue. They are democratic. Um, majority Democratic in Washington, D.C., and so a lot of the majority red states are kind of protesting the idea of D.C. becoming a state because that means that blue would have majority in places like the House of Representatives and the Senate, which would make it easier to pass Democratic bills and legislations, um, which, you know, if I want to put my two cents in, as somebody who votes blue, I would love that. I think that's fantastic. Put them in, you know. Put them in the ring. Um, it's it's about time we actually had some progress for a country that calls itself so progressive. Um, but because of the whole idea of like we have to listen to what people within these states have to say, that's kind of been some of the backlash that the idea of DC statehood has been facing lately. Um, And then I think there's also just a lot of discussion of how would the president be able to be defended if Washington, D.C. became a state because, um, oh, my gosh, I can't remember exactly the details. But, like, I think, like, certain parts of the U.S. military cannot be used on, like, state grounds, And so they're like, okay, well, if the president is living in a place that is a state and not just a district. Sorry, go ahead.
3: No, 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 I'm just listening.
2: Oh, okay. Sorry. I I have a question afterwards, though. Okay. Um, They're wondering, like, well, how can we defend the president properly if we're not able to use full uh, military force? But it's like, why would you need full military force for Mm. that? I don't know. And the issue
1: of the military? Yeah. I think in the U.S. it says that apart from the National Guard, no other U.S. military arm can operate on U.S. soil. Right. Except in D.C. where the Marines can operate. That's why right. you see them a lot in the White House and other places. Mm-hmm. But apart from the D- D.C., no U.S. kind of forces apart from the National Guard can't be on U.S. or operate on U.S. Right. soil right. when there is no war in the U.S.
2: Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, thank you. And so I think that's also a big, like, issue because it's like, well, we want to be able to protect the people leading the country. Um, And how are we supposed to be able to do that if, like you said, we can't use, you know, people like the Marines? Um, And so I think one of the suggestions that uh, is floating up in the air is the idea that, like, okay, make D.C. a state, but have places like Capitol Hill be not within the state, so that way we can still properly defend, you know. <laughs> but then I think it is a little ironic that we're so worried about the defense of the people leading the country when we quite literally had an insurrection on January 6th.
1: But D.C. has a mayor, right? It has its own mayor.
2: I believe so. I think so. I'm not sure. Mariel
1: something. she's the current mayor. Okay. D.C. Right. You can quote me on that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think right. so.
2: But I think there is a difference between, like, obviously mayor and governor. Because a governor is like the state legislator or the state, you know, government, whereas the mayor is more of the city. Mm. So there's only so much power the mayor has compared to the governor. Um, But yeah, so I just go ahead.
3: Uh, So you say people don't have a say about what's happening. Uh, I mean, are people going to complain? Are they going on the street? What do people do if they are... Do you think people are unhappy? And are they taking action to change things?
2: Okay, so I'm glad you asked that. There actually was a survey taken um, about it. I think it was... Oh my gosh, okay. I have the statistics, but they're not in front of me. So I'm not going to use any like statistics because I don't want to be incorrect. But majority of the people, not only within D.C., wanted statehood but also the majority of people um in other states like the majority of other states also wanted dc to be granted Mm -hmm. statehood um however you know like i said pushback from the red majority states has kind of Stalled the idea, um, especially with stuff like the filibuster being put in place. But yes, the people living within Washington, D.C., do want to be granted statehood so that they can have representation um, at a state level, but also at a federal level through the House of Representatives and mm. Congress and stuff.
1: But I'll be, since you're an American and you're talking about politics, let me ask you this. Yes. Do you think the U.S. is a democracy? Because given the way you vote, where it's it's based on basically how much slaves the state used to own. It's how much power you have in the say of who becomes the president. So given that the U.S. will go to wars in countries because they say, you not know, democratic, is the U.S. in itself a democratic nation?
2: I'm so glad you asked me that. No, absolutely not. What's the Electoral College doing? You know, like, I feel like to some extent, okay, yes, we do have voting, but we only have two parties that we're able to vote with. And they're both a little bit extreme. Like, there's no in-between, there's no multiple parties that we can have um, different opinions in. It's like you either vote red or you vote blue. And if you vote with something else, you're throwing your vote away and not making it count. And to me, that's really frustrating. Additionally, um, I am a blue voter in a red state. Which is a little frustrating because when I vote for the presidential election, because of the fact that my state is majority red, the Electoral College gives the entire state to the red party when myself, all my friends, the majority of people living within the capital of North Carolina, like the Raleigh-Durham area, is majority blue. But all of our votes still count for red because of the Electoral College. And so... That is a little frustrating. And I understand that the Electoral College was set in place for a reason. However, that reason was like mm, 300 years ago. And I think the problem with the U.S. is that they take the Constitution in a way that they are unwilling to change it, which is a little frustrating because it is 2022, not 1776 (laughs) It's time to update a little bit Exactly, Mm -hmm. and like, okay, yes we've made amendments, but now why are we repealing things Mm. Mm, like Roe v. Wade, you know, to get a little extreme.
3: How do you become a state? What do you mean? Do you need agreement of all the other states? Do you need like a vote or do you need a certain amount of money?
2: Do you need um, So I'm not sure about the money part But I do think that like It it is voted on By the states Um, So like for example there was a lot of Like when they were Moving west There was a lot of discussion about like Whether or not these states should become States because of um, How they would vote Mm -hmm. And how the majority of people In the state would be aligned And so I feel like Now with 50 states it's kind of split more evenly and because of that people who live in the u.s and who are very stuck in their ways are nervous to have places like washington dc or even puerto rico become states simply because they are unsure how it's gonna Mm -hmm. vote so i do think that the idea of statehood is voted on within the u.s but i am not a hundred percent sure on the whole statehood process so do not quote me on it
3: yeah (laughs) very interesting it sounds like a Like a game of uh, chess, really. Yeah. Uh,
2: Yeah. It was an ethics bowl case that I did back home. I'm part of the UNC ethics bowl team. And so we actually went to nationals and competed. And this was one of the cases that I had to present on. So a lot of my research is not in front of me. It is at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, and I wish I could remember. Let's go to it Abby's. <laughs> I know. Come on, guys, <laughs> book a <of> flight. <laughs> it will only cost like a thousand U.S. dollars. Oh, go, boss. Down. I know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I don't know. I think the idea of you know, as an American, and my parents are immigrants, so they they fought very hard for me to have rights within the U.S. Mm-hmm. and be a uni- uh, a citizen of the United States, and It is very frustrating to see the state of the country that I'm from and coming here and seeing how the education is run, seeing how the government is run and seeing how people are treated gives me, I don't know, a sense of like dread for going home. (laughs) Like, obviously, I want to go home to see my friends and family. But, you know, I think it's a little hard to, you know, I've never been like a big like, oh, I'm patriotic unless it's the Olympics. Then I'm like, ooh, these colors don't run, baby. (laughs) (laughs) The USA, you know, only for the Olympics. But, like, everything else, I'm like, ooh, guys. It's tough. It's not the same reality. I know. Um, Exactly. Speaking of daydreaming, Mm, you know.
0: It all connects. Yeah, Yeah, a lot of these
2: Americans are like, ooh, best
0: country in the world. I'm like, who told Mm. you that? (laughs) The books. Yeah, It's so crazy how, sorry, I don't know, like, how much more um, I can, you know, bring into this conversation. Yeah. But I just want to say, like, it's crazy how the history books and stuff like that, like, in every single country are still low-key kind of censored. Like, I was talking about it with my dad the other day, Mm -hmm. about Cameroonian history. If anyone is interested, I'm ethnically Cameroonian. And he said that they didn't learn a single thing about Cameroonian history, only about the British and about the French, because it's based Uh, on the colonies that were taken over. My dad only found out most about the history of our country when he left mm. so Yikes. yeah i just find that kind of crazy yeah that's all yeah. i want to say we yeah. definitely
2: struggle with textbook censorship in the us Bags. i will mm. say that crazy especially yeah. if you live in like mississippi
3: you gotta travel to figure out the truth right
2: so Bags. true <laughs> so true yeah Ooh. or do your own research yeah this is a but
3: still i mean even if when you on you do your own research right. you're you're limited by what you find and who <laughs> your sources.